0: hi i'm emma hill welcome to art seeker stories a podcast about my journey seeking art at the core of finding my own art here i'll take you on a nostalgic trip back 20 to 22 years ago sharing my diary during my days as long haul cabin crew for british airways These are my worldwide travels as an art seeker, as an art culture vulture, where it all began at the turn of the century. Today's episode 36 is a postcard from London, and the date is the 18th of September in 2000. I take a trip to London to the Royal Academy and catch the crest of the wave as it begins to fall. This is the Saatchi Decades follow-up show to sensation. Apocalypse, beauty and horror in contemporary art. Ironically, before much of it disappears for good, up in smoke. Stepping back a little more, I'm going to set the scene. It's not quite the end of the 20th century, But in the autumn of 1997, sensation blasts the Royal Academy with a cross-section of current new British art. This is the Saatchi decade, courtesy of Charles Saatchi himself, the advertising mogul who is their single greatest patron and supporter it's been almost a decade since Freeze the Summer of 88 exhibition organised by Damien Hirst and 15 of his classmates from Goldsmith College the beginning of the hype and the phenomenon that became the YBAs Brit art riding the wave of cool Britannia back in the day the artists were all unique and individual in that they all primarily Set out for just one thing, and that is to shock, celebrating the strange, mysterious, the freakish, and normalizing the abnormal. While these works bid to evoke both reality and sensation, the art documented many controversial issues that were of concern at the time. Maybe the most controversial were Damien Hurst's dissected sheep in formaldehyde. The Chapman Brothers' deformed, conjoined, sex-objectified figures, Tracy Emin's tent with embroidered names of everyone she ever slept with, and Marcus Harvey's Myra, whose giant portrait made from children's handprints became defaced with egg during the show. You could ask, is this art? I don't think it really matters as it well and truly got London back on the map as a central player within the global art market. Now here I am in autumn 2000 stepping back 22 years to the day. The follow-up show to sensation has arrived. Apocalypse. Beauty and horror in contemporary art. Walking into the show I crouch down into a tiny space that feels like you are accessing through a tiny gap of a building site into a building. It's an installation by Gregor Schneider, a rebuilt room and an imaginary space for living within a house. Yet separate from it, he builds rooms within rooms that are separated by narrow spaces Like containers that hold the history of an individual's existence. It's dark and people are wandering about, confused. It feels odd, like we have taken a wrong turn. Behind set or something, like from a theatre. This can't be, there are obstacles. It's dark, confusing and the space is getting tighter, closer in. I feel a desperate need to escape, to get out. An intense clamping of claustrophobia and breathlessness tightens around my throat and neck. I'm panicked as I have no idea of a likely escape route as I feel trapped in this labyrinth and then I am free. Thank God. Afterwards, I look back at where I have been. It's little more than a construction box. It looks so small and unthreatening within the large walls of the gallery room. It's almost laughable, and yet my fear was there, and it was real. Instead of thinking of the type of people who lived in a room, similar to this reconstruction, I thought of Anne Frank. I wondered if her hiding place was anything like this. There was something about the installation that triggered thoughts of the Holocaust and the genocides that occurred during World War II. The exhibition's name, Apocalypse, implies facing history and the presence at the same time, bringing with it a sense of finality with a horror that is recalled deep within our memories. As individuals, we can face what we are given or... We can choose not to escape, taking refuge in superficial beauty. The work of the artists in this show then make statements and illustrate contrasting perspectives within parallel worlds, within the reality in life and death and the theatre of fantasy and illusion. I naturally am drawn to beauty. Why wouldn't I be? And yet, annoyingly, it's the horror that remains engraved in your brain. In this instance, the most horrific, incredibly graphic and detailed are the sequence of nine Victorines with miniature installations Inside Hell, made by Jake and Dinos Chapman. It reveals the atrocities of war, torture, life in the trenches and on the front line. All the blood and gore, illustrating the images of injury and pain, pure horror and vulgar and disgust, a snapshot of a truth that's swiftly hidden after victory. In total contrast are the works of Marco Mori, who has created a futuristic dream temple five meters high and 10 meters wide made in glass flat in part and spheric and domed in others the iridescent surface creates a glowing reflected spectrum of colored light the temple appears ethereal magical and heavenly inside the central sphere within the temple is this Virtual reality video projecting abstract images of astral bodies that float in and out of existence. We are taken on a journey into a dream, into a future where time is frozen. I imagine I have entered a time capsule and I'm under the illusion of temporarily entering a contemporary Nirvana. Here, there is such a contrast of emotion from the horrors only a moment before. I'm initially attracted by the transparent beauty that becomes seductive and hypnotic. Off guard, this feels great, as you're well on your way to enlightenment. But then, anxiety creeps in, an uncertainty and apprehension, a fear for a future where science has gone a step too far. And you could question if you've been abducted by aliens. An artwork I found interesting was Tim Noble and Sue Webster's The Undesirables, a shadow play rising above a giant stack of rubbish, which in the echo of the light becomes the shadow of a couple watching the sun go down, inspired by a trip to the music festival at Glastonbury. The stack of rubbish as an artwork looks shocking contained within the space of the gallery's four walls. And in doing so, raises our social consciousness and awareness of mass consumerism. It's the excess rubbish that contributes to our environmental catastrophes, creating pollution and global warming. And yet the image made from the filth is of a beautiful memory. Perhaps this could suggest hope and beauty within nature and love. However, the most shocking work for me was Maurizio Catalan's Ninth Hour, which is of a life-size waxwork of Pope John Paul II, who has been hit to the floor by a meteorite that has smashed through the glass window in the roof. The whole room is dedicated to this one artwork which looks terrifyingly real, my heart jumped into my throat and I instantly felt sick. As in the first moment, I thought it was real. I didn't think it was real. It felt real. (laughs) But all is okay as the Pope clasps a huge cross to his untimely death. Now, nostalgically looking back at my diary, 22 years to the day, my thoughts in reflection. Four years after I visited the Royal Academy show Apocalypse, Beauty and Horror in Contemporary Art, 50 years and millions of pounds worth of British art went up in flames. Destroyed in a warehouse fire, most of which was sentimental and irreplaceable. And yet it's almost ironic that the Chapman Brothers' hell should actually burn in hell. Which incidentally did get remade as fucking hell. How about art in London now? I'm sure you can find anything and everything you want somewhere or another. Art is shifting seeking accessibility for all, spreading its reach, celebrating the talents of those living with neurodiversity, physical support needs, and mental health issues. Art continues to educate and celebrate differences, connecting culture in race, minorities, gender, and our preferences. Last month, I visited the Royal Academy's Summer Exhibition, And the theme this year was climate in all its manifestations, whether it is a crisis or opportunity or simply our everyday existence, it is an all-embracing subject. I was delighted to see Out of Darkness, a wonderful artwork created in my art class at Arthouse Unlimited, made by the wonderful Mandy Lyne. Art House Unlimited is a charity presenting the artistic talents of adults living with complex, neurodiverse and physical support needs. Although the first global agreement to reduce greenhouse gases, the Kyoto Protocol, was adopted in October 1997, the subject of global warming and climate change in 2000 was not so much in the forefront of worldwide media as it is today, And yet, Tom Noble and Sue Webster's iconic The Undesirables, Made for Apocalypse, couldn't have been more suitable for today's audience at the Summer Exhibition. Today, though, London has had a week in mourning, as our Queen, Elizabeth II, is lying in state at Westminster Hall. Tomorrow will be her final journey where she will reunite and be laid to rest with her husband, Prince Philip, in Windsor. Our Queen wasn't struck down by a meteorite, like Maurizio Catalan's Ninth Hour's Pope, but it seemed fitting that nature marked her death with a double rainbow, both at Balmoral, where she dies and Buckingham Palace. Mostly in death, our country is united, as are the royal family. Harry and Andrew are back beside their siblings. The family's grief has been shared privately and publicly together. Mourners are queuing for hours to pay their respects. The Queen's children took their place standing vigil, guarding her as the public streamed by. Her eight grandchildren will do the same, as greater family look on. Calm and respectful until a man is arrested for grabbing at the Queen's coffin, lifting the royal standard, before he is tackled to the ground. Almost a lifetime in waiting, we have our new King, Charles III. There is no doubt that tomorrow, with all the pomp and circumstance, ceremony and tradition, the United Kingdom will proudly mark this day in history, celebrating our Queen's life. For 70 years she reigned as a constant in a forever changing world, true to her word, to the end. As she said, I declare before you that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and the service of our great imperial family to which we all belong. On a side note, as I listened to the TV coverage surrounding the Queen's death, I was trying to put together stretcher frames. Outside it was dark, pouring with rain and everything seemed to be going wrong. I felt the need to paint, so I did. This week has been hard for me. I've had COVID and after a couple of days unable to do anything, I could finally pick up a paintbrush and I finished my painting today. Although it is abstract, I am seeing an arm reaching to the clouds. But what I like most is an echo of a balloon heart shape that reminds me of a swan's wings. So I call this painting Swan Song. I was probably thinking of Swan Lake and made a mistake in writing song or thinking song as I didn't think a swan's squawk or hiss for that matter was much of a song. So I googled it. Or maybe Swan Song just sounded better because it rhymed. The swan song then is a metaphorical phase for a final gesture, effort, or performance, given just before death. So there we have it, where art and life meet, somewhere between the conscious and subconscious. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Art Seeker Stories. Please do follow, share and comment and join in the conversation. I'd love to hear your art-seeking journeys too. Mini podcast postcard episodes, Art Seeking Stories Worldwide, are released 20 to 22 years to the day of visiting and therefore irregular as and when. In between there are the occasional heart-to-heart artist interviews. Until next time, very best wishes.